Hello and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode 176, recorded April 1st, 2020. April Fools. So I'm Brian Aachen. I'm Michael Kennedy. And this episode is brought to you by DigitalOcean. We'll talk about more about them later. But uh, yeah, let's just uh, catch up a little bit. What's going on? Oh, you know, uh, this is one of the few bits of human interaction outside of my house that I get is to talk to you here on Skype video, right? Like, it's a weird time, isn't it? It's totally weird. We normally don't record video, but we do see each other. And we've noticed as we contacted us or connected today that both of us have new haircuts, but they're homegrown haircuts. (laughs) I never cut my own hair and it was getting bigger and bigger. And my hair doesn't get long. It just gets big and poofy. And it's more like a a (laughs) Q-tip on top of my head. And eventually I just break down. Like, I can't do this. So at first I taught, I looked at my daughter who's 19. I'm like, here's a shaver. You got to, sh- you got to cut my hair. And she's like, no, no. And so she did an okay job. And uh, that was really good. And then I decided to go back and like, it was still quite a bit actually longer than I wanted. So I gave it a, a second haircutting as well. And, yeah. you know, honestly, it's about as good as the haircuts I, I pay for. So I'm, I'm feeling like this might be a trend that I was forced into and you're looking good yourself. Yeah. Nice so I, up. I, I normally have like a, like a short goatee thing that I keep and I just have, when I bought the trimmer for it, I just I only needed one guard because I'm, I mean, I didn't think ahead. And I um, just like, I don't know where all the rest of the guards were. So I only have that like little short guard for the uh, the trimmer. And my wife uh, was willing to cut my hair, but it's a little shorter than I was expecting. But I think it's all right. I don't have to worry about it anymore. My kids yeah. like say it's like a peach. They, so they come by and rub my head all the time. It looks good. And that's the weird world we find ourselves in. You know, I'm here drinking coffee out of this Pittsburgh mug, but there will be no Pittsburgh, right? PyCon is now officially canceled. Yeah, that's a bummer. This might be the first recording since it was actually fully, fully canceled. At least the first time we spoke about it, possibly. We, we might have managed it last time, but there's certainly a, a tightening up on getting together for conferences and that kind of thing. And, you know, we spoke a little bit about what's going to stick these changes that we have to have that are going to stick, like a lot of meetings could just be emails or they could be remote or or whatever, right? And I wonder what that's going to do to the conference space. Yeah, I wonder too. One of the reactions I heard from somebody was, even if it was to do move towards a virtual, which that, that were, they were talking about that a little bit, maybe doing a virtual conference, but that wasn't the thing. It's essentially canceled. But although some people are, are sending in videos, they're going to have some people be able to send in their presentations as videos. So that's neat. But it's the meeting people. We we interact with people online all year long, and it's uh, one one chance to get together. So at least with PyCon, I don't think that'll go away. No, I don't think so. For me, it's not it's not about the talks. I, I go to talks, and they're interesting. But it's about the, the stuff that happens in between it. It's about you know hanging out with you, hanging out with people from other places I don't normally see making those connections and just stumbling onto things that are like, oh, I had no idea that this was happening. Let's talk about that. Or That's the value, and that's really tough to replace. Yeah, it really is tough to replace. Hey, maybe more video chats will help. Absolutely. All right, well, I guess everyone be safe out there. Yeah. And follow our lead. Stay home, even if you got to cut your own hair. <laughs> well, let's move on to some topics. So first off, I was hoping to talk about pyproject.toml. I think we've, I'm sure we've covered it before. But the Brett Cannon is, is he still part of the core or did he get voted out? I think he's still part of the core head honchos. I think he's on the steering council. Yeah. Yeah. He wrote an article, just uh, released it recently called what the heck is pyproject.toml. And 
one of the, the reasons why he wrote it, and I think this is an interesting side effect, is uh, so if you're just if you're just joining us, the PyProject.toml came out of the efforts with PEP 517 and 518 to define what the file looks like, and it kind of defines what tools are needed to build a project and and how to build it. And um, that used to be mostly just setup tools, but now there's lots of other tools like Flit and uh, Poetry, and you can make your own if you want to. But these are this file. One of the side effects is um, people started adding other their tool configuration to this file, such as like coverage and talks. Now you can you can put the those uh, configurations into uh, PyProject.toml for those tools, even even though it has nothing to do with building. And uh, it just saves you from having an extra file, but even though those tools have their own configuration files. And then Black came around, and Black uses um, only has a few configurations available. So instead of creating their own configuration file, Black uses the PyProject.toml for looking up configuration if you want to configure like line length or something. And so there's uh, there's been projects that have added uh, PyProject.toml files for the reason because they were trying to, they're using Black also, and now their their builds don't work. And uh, the reason is if there's a PyProject.toml, even if you're using setup tools, pip will pip will look for the build stuff around that within the file. So Brett is uh, has gone and added showed the uh, the few lines of code you need to add to the Toml file to specify how to build with setup tools. That's the main contribution for this. But it's also, I think that people ought to, ought to go read the article because it's a good uh, good summary of where we're at right now. Yeah, the PyProject.toml is great. And it's super cool that you can specify things like, here's how you can, say, build the package, right? It requires a wheel and whatnot. Yeah, it's, it's cool. I, I really like it. I honestly need to start working with it. I'm still on the requirements.txt side of the fence, just waiting for things to, you know, shake out. But it certainly seems like there's a lot of energy here. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so definitely a good pick there. You know, sometimes we talk about awesome things on Python Bytes, right? <laughs> yeah. And we've even talked about awesome lists, which are lists organizing various other things, projects, websites, tools, whatever, around something. But last time in passing, we mentioned that there was a cool article by Jack McHugh where he blogged about the awesome Python Bytes awesome list. Yeah, that was neat. Right? Yeah, so now Jack has made this a proper GitHub repository where it has a clear way to contribute to it. You can do PRs and all sorts of stuff. And he said he'll be adding personally to the repo whenever he hears about awesome things like this. Maybe he'll add his own list to it, which would be very meta. Right, it would just link back to itself. No, just kidding. But that's really awesome. And there's already five PRs from listeners accepted to on this list. Oh wow, that's great! Isn't that cool? People seem to be liking it. After we announced it, then we had other people saying, and I saw some commentary about there was some missing that that he forgot about. So yeah, well, it's just the stuff that really stood out to Jack in the beginning, right? So yeah. if you want to go back and kind of look through what some people thought of a year and a half ago that we talked about, that was awesome. You can go there and. If you look at it, it comes with graphics, like all good things that present things. If you can have graphics, guess what? It's like a thousand words, isn't it? (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Isn't that cool? This is great. Yeah, Yeah, it's really, really polished. And you can just flip through and like, we talked about D-type, the visualization for Pandas data frames. And, you know, there's like some nice examples and pictures there. 
really, really good stuff. So I think it's a great way to explore some of the stuff that we talk about. A couple of fun projects I saw on there that I just remembered. Oh, yeah, we did talk about that. That was cool. It was great expectations for validating and documenting and profiling data. Yeah. Pandas Vet, which is a Flake 8 a linter for opinionated Pandas code. GeoAlchemy, which is like geospatial databases on top of SQL Alchemy. And Vue.py, which provides in-browser Python runtimes interacting with Vue.js. So just, you know, all sorts of cool stuff there. And uh, I guess related to this, although not technically anything to do with that, is we have a super cool search over at pythonbytes.fm slash search. And it's really fast. It even searches our spoken words. So if you want to just find something that maybe we talked about a long time ago or see if it's covered, throw it in there and uh, it'll pop up. That's really neat. And (laughs) I love this because I'm like flipping through this going, oh, I want to go back and check that out again. Um, exactly like that was like a year and a half and we only spent like you know half an hour playing with it before we talked about it then maybe we didn't use it again but yeah it was cool so i legitimately enjoyed going through the list here and i thought listeners might as well uh, if they heard it before or even if they didn't yeah yeah that's awesome yeah well i guess you were going to continue a theme a little bit with your from the pyproject.toml onward huh i have been playing with a, a project for a while off and on uh, associated with testing code called the cards project and it's a just a little to-do app thing it's just a little sample thing to mostly to play with all of the stuff around python and distribution and testing and and all that and um somebody uh oh gosh it was months ago and i should have their name here but one of the the, somebody else contributed a pull request to add uh, github actions so github actions are a way to you know for you can use that for like CI CD workflows with Python project with all, all sorts of stuff, but with, especially with Python projects, because you know, that the building pipeline is kind of short uh, with, <laughs> with Python. It's not as complicated as other things. So often you don't really, it's, it might be overkill to use another CI system. And so GitHub actions are really pretty cool for that. And so I incorporated that and then was looking into the last step was how do I publish to the PyPI? I'd really like to add that. So there's a, I was looking it up and the PyPA, the Python Packaging Authority, actually has a article written called Publishing Pack, Publishing Packets Distribution Release Releases Using GitHub Actions with CICD Workflows. And so this was like, I'm following through this. I'm actually ran into some hiccups, but I wanted to cover it anyway. My promise is that by the time this goes live, the cards project will actually be complete because it's it's almost there. There's a few hiccups I've ran into. Um, PyPI requires you to have an email associated with the package, which is kind of annoying because uh, Flit and Pip don't anymore, but PyPI still does. So how to do that? And there's a few a few other hiccups. I don't know if I'll write it. If there's just these, I'll probably just fix them and have it ready for people to look at. But uh, if it's too many more, I'll have to write a new blog post and I'll associate that with this as well. Yeah, this looks great. And I had no idea about the GitHub secrets. So one of the challenges is you want to have your personal PyPI account where you're the maintainer admin of that package on PyPI.org. You might not want to contribute that into the source code, especially for an open source project, right? Yeah, like, probably that's a bad gonna, idea. Yeah, that's going to result in some bad things happening there eventually. It talks about how to use the secrets settings in GitHub to store those there and then how to like 
pull those out as replacements in your GitHub Actions, which I had never done. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and the workflow that they're they're suggesting, which is I think a great idea, is to go ahead and have all every pull request or merge to the, your some master branch or to anywhere any branch, go through the entire thing and try to publish to the test API server. And only ones where you change the tag, which is where you would change you change a tag if you change your uh, version number. That's when it would push to uh, a PyPI, the real one. But to have that workflow even going through the test PyPI every time you push something, I think that's a great idea. Yeah, it is. But somehow you got to change the version number or it's not going to let you publish even to test, right? Yeah. So I'm not sure. That's a, I still am figuring out how to get around that. So we'll see. Yeah. Cool. One of the things I love, I love really great tutorials. The internet, I think, is working because of the great tutorials around. And one of the, the uh, groups that have put out some awesome tutorials is DigitalOcean. So DigitalOcean is sponsoring this episode. And one of the things that they're offering, of course, is um, they offer a way to get started with, um, they offer Kubernetes clusters, and you can do that with DigitalOcean. But to get started with hosting and running Linux servers with Kubernetes clusters, that can be a little tricky. And that's why we want to highlight that DigitalOcean has launched their new support center. And this makes it easier to find answers to your questions, help you get up to speed, get what you need. And you can search across uh, product documentation and community tutorials and forums all in one place. And uh, especially with something tricky like a Kubernetes cluster, or really even if you're new at any of this, that's a, their support center is awesome, got great tutorials. So visit pythonbytes.fm slash docsupport to see their tutorials. And of course, use pythonbytes.fm slash digitalocean for a $100 credit for new users. Yeah, absolutely. Their tutorials are so good that you can even select different operating systems in different versions so that the steps exactly line up. If you're on, say, Ubuntu 16, you don't have to try to patch that back. The tutorial steps to be different, which is that's taken to the next level. Very good stuff. I've heard some from somebody once before where they were actually using a different host and using DigitalOcean tutorials to help them set it up. <laughs> and then they finally realized, why am I giving money to somebody else? Let's use DigitalOcean because they help yeah. me out. So That's where our, our infrastructure is. Very good. Now, this next one, Brian, this one is best seen through pictures. So make sure you open this up and uh, we talk through it. So like I said, all good presentations, especially stuff that's Ooh. graphical, has pictures, people. This is amazing. So this thing that I want to talk about is called rich, rich text for terminals. So we've talked a lot about how it's great to have GUIs and web apps and stuff like that. That's very visual for the presentations, which are still true. But a lot of times you just want something in a little terminal app command CLI app. And it would be nice if it wasn't just all one plain color or just, you know, all text left aligned. So there's this cool project called rich. And Rich lets you have up to 16.7 million colors for your terminal colors, not just like eight or whatever it is, you know, red and light red, like 16.8 million colors. It supports bold, dim, italics, underline, strike, th- strike through, and even, please don't use it, the blink tag. <laughs> so you, you can put the blink tag out there. You can have text that's left aligned, centered, right aligned, justified, supports um, like Chinese and Korean has emojis like you can put colon apple colon and an apple shows up you can as part of a string put little escapes so you can say this word is bold magenta and then here's the rest of the words and just print that thing out so you have like inline styling tables 
You have beautiful tables like in the terminal. Those are really nice. nice. Those are yeah. really nice. Syntax highlighting for code. So you can print out Python code with line numbers and it'll highlight it. And it even has uh, markdown support. So you could write markdown and it renders it as its own version of rich text. Not not quite HTML or something like that, but it has, you know, bulleted lists and like titles and, and whatnot. It even has progress bars and logger support and all kinds of stuff. Isn't that cool? Yeah, the logger handling is actually pretty great. Yeah, so if you're working on a terminal app and you're like, we're just going to keep it this way, but I want it to look nicer. I want it to look a little more professional. This is like kind of your all-in-one, do a bunch of cool stuff here. You can even have multiple progress bars all updating in parallel on the screen. So if you've got a bunch of downloads, you can indicate them all happening or something like that, a bunch of jobs running. Sweet. So yeah, might, this, this is a cool project. Might have to add this to cards. That'd be cool. That would be awesome. Yeah, it yeah. definitely would. It even has like all of that support for Windows. If you use the new Windows console or terminal, I guess is the word that they're they're now using because console, I guess, is the old school thing. And Microsoft's like, no, no, we all have terminals now. And you can go get that from the, you probably don't have that on Windows. It's in preview, but you can get it on the Windows store for free. And I link to that as well. So if you're on Windows and you want a better terminal in general that supports this kind of stuff, check that out too. Hmm. Interesting. Second, yeah. do you know if that'll roll into the normal, just all releases of Windows at some point? I would hope so. Uh, maybe. It's still in beta. Well, I guess we'll we'll have to see, but it would be nice, right? It'd be one yeah. step closer to parity across all these platforms, which you know is always good. Yeah, I just use the Bash terminal for Bash for or Git for Windows comes with a Bash terminal. So, <laughs> right, nice. Speaking of uh, Windows, I guess it's any operating system, but uh, I'm actually kind of surprised this has been on our to do list for a long time. A library called PSUtil. It's a cross platform library for process and system monitoring in Python. And I'm actually surprised that we haven't really covered it. We must have covered it in passing a couple times. Probably. But I wanted to highlight it because it is an amazing little tool. It's not something I really like love when I have to use it. But things like um, there's times where I'm controlling multiple computers or services running on a, a different machine with Windows. Like I said, you can use it with it. It's a cross-platform thing. But you can, can use this to grab uh, uh, CPU utilization, memory utilization, disk usage, network what ports are being used, and you can even see all of this information based on which process. So you can get like a, a per process list of uh, CPU usage and everything uh, within that. And then different around processes, you can suspend and kill and signal different processes. Uh, so if you're one of the things that we use this for is uh, monitoring our build servers. I know there's other ways to do it, but uh, this is a pretty easy way to 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 go over to another server and grab the CPU's usage and memory usage um, so we can keep track of all of our, make sure all of our build servers are uh, working and not overloaded. So we use this. It's a pretty cool little tool. Yeah, this looks really great. Um, I think we also talked about it last week briefly when we covered uh, PyTest Monitor, and that was built on top of PSUtil, amongst other things. We didn't cover PSUtil, but like it's that kind of tools that this enables, right? Yeah, PyTest Monitor used that also. That was, that was I'm like, man, I think we covered this recently. But yeah, it was last week we covered that. It, by itself, it's still a really great thing to use by itself. And the, the readme is huge, but it uh, shows you a lot of different examples for, for how to use it. Yeah, it looks super useful. If you're going to do any automation and sort of admin sort of work looks great one of the great things that i love is the cross-platform part because 
this sort of stuff you can do on, I mean, you can do directly with Windows and with uh, Unix, but, um, you know, it's different on everything else, on everything. And so having a cross, I'm pretty impressed that it can even exist as a graphics platform thing, but it can. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Apparently it can, and it's, it's awesome. Yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely a good one. So let me ask you this question. If I'm going to store some numbers, let's say up to 100,000, how big of an integer do I need to make in Python? I don't have to make an integer. <laughs> yeah, they just, just are there. They're just there. It's beautiful, right? <laughs> but I know that you've done a lot of C and C++, and, and I have as well back in the day. And you used to have to really think about that, right? Like if you saw a negative 32,000 for a number and you thought you were adding to it, you're like, oh, it was a, a short and it overflowed. Darn. Well, I guess it's... Maybe it should be a U short, unsigned short. It could be, it could hold up to 65,000, right? Like this is something yeah. you always had to think about. And in uh, Python, you don't. And how that happens is pretty interesting. I didn't really know the internals. I kind of guessed maybe something like what's happening was happening, but I, I didn't know. And so there's a cool article by Arpit Bayani, and he wrote it something called How Python Implements Super Long Integers. So, for example, if you tried to take 2 and raise it to the power of 20,000 in C, you would get infinity. (laughs) (laughs) Right back, because it's, well, it's bigger than we can hold it, so it must be infinity as far as we're concerned. But in Python, it's fine. It just gives you a 6,021-digit integer, and you don't have to declare, like, I'm working with really big numbers or anything like that. And so Python is pretty cool in how it's transparent with these, right? Yeah. Yeah. So... This article digs into the C Python source code. It talks about the algorithms and the data structures that make this happen. So basically, the numbers in Python are represented as what's called a pi var object. So pi object, those that's the core type of things in Python. But this is a variable length one, right? And so there's a, a couple of different types that are like this. We've got lists, we've got tuples, but we also have numbers. And that indicates that they can be of different size and they can basically grow as as they need to, right? So Python's numbers ultimately are represented by this thing called a, a long object and that has a pi object base, but then it also has a size and a digit. And these digits are, I think they're four, four or eight bytes long. I can't remember, it doesn't say here. It's a macro that would expand to four or eight, something like that. But Basically, it uses a list of digits and it, you know, initially just uses one of those. But then when it gets full, it adds another and another and another. And what's interesting is they're base 230, not 10, not 16, 230. That's weird. Okay. Yeah, because apparently it can most efficiently use that's exactly that space of its four bytes or whatever as individual elements in, in a base. So it's pretty interesting. Like there's this ginormous number and if you were trying to represent it in base 230 it's 100 (laughs) i'm not going to read it off because it's really really long but it's pretty interesting how it uses this but then when you get into operations right if i'm going to add two numbers and they're base 230 like what algorithm do you do it's not like base 10 where you normally do the thing or division or something so that's also interesting to think about if you look at arithmetic it's pretty straightforward you just add within the digits and if you overflow 230 you do a carryover like you learned in elementary school subtraction is like you do the borrow so it's like reverse but then multiplication in order to keep things efficient uses a an algorithm called the karastaba tabu stabua algorithm which okay. is a interesting way to multiply two n digit numbers <laughs> in different bases and stuff and yeah so it's 
If you've ever wondered how come you don't have to worry about numbers overflowing in Python, here's a cool look inside that at the C Python source code and some of the algorithms. That's amazing. Yeah. Actually, that's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. I'm so glad I don't have to worry about it, right? It's just, it just happens. Yeah. One of the definite benefits of Python is this this notion of, uh, you know, developer time is way more valuable than computer time. So let's figure all this stuff out for everybody else and then we can stop thinking about it so much. Yeah, for sure. I had a, a project many years ago where I had to work with a uh, an FPGA and the clock system was uh, such that the timing had the, to set the current time had to divide that out for a multi-radix number. So it wasn't like base 10 or base 230. It was each digit had its own base. Oh my goodness. That's yeah, crazy. It was, it, was a, it was kind of a beast. It was cool, a cool algorithm, but it was a, a fun thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love this sort of stuff. Yeah, this is really cool. A cool glimpse behind the curtain, a little bit of the red pill. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you go down inside, see what's happening. One final comment here is, there's some funny little tricks you can play on people to ask. You can like create the number 10 and then create the number 10 somewhere else and ask if those are the same number, like with the word is. It's true for small numbers, but it's false for large numbers. And that's because Python pre-allocates the numbers negative five to 256. Oh, wow. Okay. When you have 100 in your program, it's the same 100 everywhere. But if you have 1,226,411, that was made on the spot. Because these are pointers. These are not just like four bytes on the stack. These are getting allocated in complicated ways each time. And so they said, look, negative five to 256. We use these all the time. Let's just make them when Python starts. Why why minus five? (laughs) Well, because who uses minus six? Come on. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea. I can see see minus one and zero to 256. But beyond that, I I don't really know what. They must have some reason. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't know why. They probably started with negative one. Somebody said, well, let's do minus two also. Oh, let's let's go hog wild and go all the way down to minus five. Exactly. Exactly. Anyway. Hey, that's our six. You got anything, uh, any news for us or any extras? I have two really quick things. You know how Microsoft bought GitHub? That was kind of interesting news a while ago. And actually people were contemplating the effects that would have on open source and all. Well, NPM, the PIP equivalent of JavaScript, is now was acquired by GitHub as well. So just interesting moving and shaking over there behind the scenes. That's really interesting. Unlike PyPA and PIP, NPM was like a commercial venture or something to that effect to try to bring that order to the JavaScript side. And now, so since it was commercial, it's been acquired. So NPM is the JavaScript thing? NPM is how JavaScript spells PIP. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Quick other one is we're going to try to set up a YouTube channel where people can see both of us talking, see all our, the silly stuff that we do in a fairly uncut, unedited way. But we're going to try to put a video for each topic. So we just talked about the Python number thing, like just a single video on that. It'd be easy to share with friends. It'll be something we put up there. So we'll have more details with you soon on the YouTube channel. But I'm looking forward to it. I think people will. It'll give people a new look. I think it'll be fun. Yeah, and then uh, people will uh, be able to recognize our faces when we are not walking around because everybody should stay home. Exactly. Assuming that we continue to just give ourselves haircuts. Cool. So we look the same. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anything uh, you want to share with folks? Nope. Nope. Just working from home. All right. Well, I had this joke about uh, C and like numbers overflowing and like, oh, why is it negative 32,000? Oh, because it's 37,000 positive. (laughs) Or something like that, right? 
Well, here's another one. And this one is just to kind of make you feel good about yourself as a Python developer, right? Yeah. So this one's visual, as a lot of them seem to be lately, but uh, I'll go ahead and uh, we'll do our best to describe it. <laughs> right. I'm going to let you be the, the developer. So you do the first three. You got to give a little description, though. Okay. So the dude's 8.30 in the morning. I'm staring at the screen and I comment, stupid bug. And then seven hours later, and this guy apparently grows facial hair really fast because he's already got stubble at seven seven hours. Oh, it must be Linux. And then the next day, his face is red and he's even got more hair. <laughs> and he says, JavaScript's broken? Okay. Oh, then yeah. Bob comes. yeah. Bob comes in. Or the other guy comes in and looks at and says, oh, hey, Bob, it looks like you forgot a semicolon. Ah, fix. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So well, that'll be in the show notes. You could check out the little comic. It's fun. It's by Eric Burke. Nice one. Yeah. I don't miss semicolons. No. Oh, there's a lot of things I don't miss. <laughs> Although I'm doing a lot more C now, C. So I got to do it again. Well, it just makes you appreciate when you get to do Python. Yeah, sure does. So, and appreciate <laughs> my time with you because this is yeah, so special. Absolutely. Thank you. It's yeah. great to get together and chat about this and share it with everyone. Thanks. Thank you. Yep. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Python Bytes. Follow the show on Twitter at Python Bytes. That's Python Bytes as in B-Y-T-E-S. And get the full show notes at pythonbytes.fm. If you have a news item you want featured, just visit pythonbytes.fm and send it our way. We're always on the lookout for sharing something cool. This is Brian Aachen, and on behalf of myself and Michael Kennedy, thank you for listening and sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues.